Hello, yummy mummies. Welcome to Beyond the Bump, a podcast brought to you by Jade Caldwell and Sophie Pierce. This podcast is targeted at mums, mums to be, and women in general. And gents, feel free to have a listen too. It's a place to have real discussions and ask real questions, no matter how hard, with honest and authentic people. The aim is to have you feeling lighter, more supported, and more understood after every listen. Now, we can't promise that it will always be kept PG, so please be mindful around little ears. Here we go. On this episode of Beyond the Bump, we chat to B, who is a midwife and personal trainer and the founder of Core and Floor Restore. We chat about all things pelvic floor, incontinence, prolapse, you name it, and we chat about why, as women, we should not be putting up with just pissing ourselves postpartum. So we hope this opens up some conversations around things that are often avoided and gets people seeking some help. Welcome to the Potty B. Can you tell us a little about yourself? Thanks so much for having me. Um, I am a midwife. That always comes first when I explain that. I feel like it's not a job for me. It's definitely a part of me. I also am a mother to an epic three-year-old <laughs> and I'm growing another one in my uterus as we speak. Oh, um, thank you. I have an epic husband who is so supportive and enables me to do what I do. And then I'm also a personal trainer and I have a master's in public health. So I dabble in a fair bit of university work and my goal is to um, become a professor of midwifery one day, but core and floor has kind of consumed me lately, which I'm really, I feel really privileged to be able to be in this space and be working in women's health in that area. So women's health is my main passion but yeah midwifery takes up a big part of that and now I'm all about the core and pelvic floor. So has it been kind of the combination of midwifery with your knowledge from personal training that has kind of come together to give you that interest? No it was actually personal experience so I have been incontinent since I was 19 and I put that down to a childhood full of constipation and allergies Um, so lots and lots of pressure on my pelvic floor from the age of probably around three to five so when I was 19 I remember the first time I you know sneezed and a bit of wee came out and I was like oh my goodness what what was that what just happened and for anyone listening who's experienced incontinence it you know especially at the start and when you're not pregnant it, it it's not often a lot that comes out and so no one can really notice it but you feel like you're wearing this bright flashing yeah. neon sign that says I just wet myself and you know when you're 19 you're at the peak of mm. your you know enjoyment of life and you're meant to be you know I was young and fit and healthy and intelligent and here I was wetting myself and um that progressively got worse as I went into my 20s and it was something as a midwife that I spoke to women about quite a lot but I never really did anything to address it in terms of seeing anyone so I would inform other people and advise other people I was caring for to see a physio but I never did and I thought I you know I think I just you know you're so invincible when you're in your 20s and didn't really think about the effects it would have on me later on. Um, and so then I, towards the end of my 20s, 
I thought we thought about having a baby and I knew that it would get worse going into my pregnancy and it had progressively gotten worse in my 20s and it wasn't just when I sneezed, it was also when I coughed by the time I was, you know, around 28 to 30. So I went and saw, uh, I was living in Melbourne at the time and I went and saw a women's health physio and she did an internal assessment laying down and standing. So for those who don't know, the pelvic floor is affected by gravity. So your strength will be different when you're standing and there's more gravity applied to when you're laying down. So she assessed internally, just like you would have a vaginal examination during um, labour or pregnancy um, with her fingers and then I would squeeze around her fingers. And she told me what I already knew, my pelvic floor was weak and told me to stop running. I was a marathon runner and I never, ever leaked urine when I ran. Um, It was only when I sneezed or coughed. But she told me to stop running, to do my Kegels and wait around four months to get pregnant. So I followed her advice and, you know, none of us do our Kegels as much as we should. I probably could have done them a bit more, but I did them. We, I didn't conceive for about six months after that and I had stopped running. By the time, so I conceived and at six weeks pregnant, right on the day, right on that, you know, six-week mark, I started vomiting and at the start I was like, oh, isn't this exciting, morning sickness, it's so cute, you know. Um, that lasted not even two days. It was hideous and I, oh, I was so sick. I would vomit just from rolling over in bed. I vomited and vomited and vomited and every time I vomited I would wet myself. And this was at six weeks and so by eight weeks I was wearing massive incontinence pads and if anyone has ever seen them they're like a giant surfboard and not a shortboard they're like a longboard (laughs) (laughs) they are so humiliating they're so debilitating you feel like a 90 year old woman and it totally restricts what you do and what you wear and I was working at a massive hospital in Melbourne at the time doing caseload midwifery and a lot of my caseload was publicly funded home births. And so you spend a lot of time in women's houses and it's really, really hard to get rid of a soaking wet incontinence pad Mm. at someone's house. They stink, they're huge, they're not discreet. And so what would happen is I would continue to, and I have really bad allergies, so lots of people have dogs and cats in their home. And so between the vomiting the sneezing and then I was pregnant during that asthma that we had the thunderstorm Mm. asthma in Melbourne and so I had this horrible asthmatic cough so between those three factors I would fill a pad quite easily in an hour or two and sometimes I would be at a burst for 12 hours and so the urine would run down my leg and I had a huge excoriation between my thighs from from the acidity and from the urine constantly being there. And I would only ever be able to wear long skirts because then I would be able to twist them around mm. if they if the pad leaked. And often the pad would the we would run down my legs and so I would bend down and use the skirt to mop it up. And luckily women who are in labour are pretty consumed with what they're doing. So I don't think anyone noticed, but it took a lot of my energy to conceal it. Um, And it was really traumatic. You know, pregnancy is so often, as motherhood is, romanticised. And, you know, there's all the ads of you pain in the nursery and you know getting a little pain on each other's nose and all those kind of cute things and here I was you know I felt so debilitated 
I was traumatized by it. I spent the majority of my pregnancy covered in urine and vomit. I'd be stuck in Melbourne traffic and I'd, you know, fill up a vomit bag and then I'd wet myself. Mm. And I just, by 18 weeks, I wanted a termination and I never, ever would have had one. I never, ever would have. I know that. But that's where my head was at and I was mentally really unwell because of it but I just soldiered on as we do I was working full-time you know and my husband would come home and I you know just vomit because it would come on so quickly and I'd obviously leak there'd be urine everywhere and he'd be like I'll go and get the mop and you know he's phenomenal he's an incredible man but you don't you want to be sexy. You want your partner to think yeah. you're attractive. And here I was leaking urine like a, like a baby or like a 90-year-old in a nursing home. And so I was questioning my ability to be able to birth. Having a natural vaginal birth was something that was really important to me as a woman and as a midwife. And having my baby at home was really important to me, especially I'd I've been a home birth midwife in Alice Springs and Melbourne and the majority of my career has been providing home birth and it's something I always wanted. And I have spent my whole career telling women to trust their bodies and I couldn't trust mine. I Mm. couldn't sneeze without wetting myself and I was like, well, if this is is pregnancy, how am I going to birth? If I can't do this, how am I going to birth a baby? Because my body isn't capable is what I felt at the time um so flash forward a few weeks and I ended up having an epic home birth I absolutely rocked it um all those years of constipation I basically just sneezed him out (laughs) 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 I knew how to push all that training (laughs) worked well and so I had this amazing home birth that just slapped me in the face and basically you know made me really look at myself and go well if I can do that then I can heal. And I'm an academic, I'm a published author, and so I love research. And I started to look into the space of this. I wanted to know more. I felt like I hadn't really gotten much out of seeing the physio, and it was just one physio. I now work with an amazing women's health physio where I live now, but at the time I kind of felt like there just wasn't enough information out there around this, and there had to be more. There had to be more than just kegels. And was your pelvic Um, floor worse after you gave birth? Well, I wasn't vomiting and hay fever season had had passed. So And you didn't have extra pressure down there, a baby on your bladder. No, so obviously, yeah, so it's the hormones in pregnancy, the relaxin and and the weight of the pregnancy. So I didn't notice it as much postnatally, but I did. This is what got me into personal training because I wasn't a personal trainer before, is I started to go back to the gym and group fitness was always a really big part of my life. And so, I, you know, you crave, especially as a first-time mother, you crave those things that you did before yeah. you had children. And so I wanted to be back in that pre-baby space, me, just for 45 minutes a day. And so I went back to group fitness and, had this amazing, lovely instructor, a couple of instructors at uh, gym, and I'd moved to a new area, a country um, town in Victoria, and they were, you know, as they as normal, doing things like star jumps in a group fitness class, and I couldn't do star jumps. I knew that, so I was, I knew I would leak, but I also wanted to keep up with pre-baby me, and I wanted to keep up with 
people in the class. I didn't want the woman 20 years older standing next to me being able to do the star jumps and I couldn't, you know. It was that whole just because I've had a baby doesn't mean I, you know, yeah. can't keep fit kind of mentality. And I started leaking urine then and I was like, you know you can't do star jumps. Like what are you doing? But I just didn't feel like, especially where I was living, that there was much for women post-birth in terms of fitness. And so I decided to do my personal training and start offering some things to women in this space. Meanwhile, I was doing all this research on the on pelvic floor dysfunction and how to heal. And I kind of really looked into the space and what other people were doing around the world and just trialed a whole heap of different techniques, um, read a hell of a lot um, and basically was my own guinea pig and at the same time as doing personal training, got my certificate there and started doing group fitness just for women and mainly for women in the postnatal period and made pelvic floor and incontinence and prolapse and diastasis recti part of the conversation of the class. Mm. And it's amazing when you create such a safe space for women to share how many women will share and need to share and want to share and and we will do that in front of each other. But, you know, when you sit down and have a coffee with a mum on maternity leave, another mum, you don't, you know, have a sip of your coffee and go, yes, I'm leaking feces. Oh, are you? Tell me about that. Like <laughs> that doesn't come up yeah. in our everyday maternity conversation. And so women hide it, but we're all hiding it. All of us have at least one issue. We're all hiding it when we could be sharing it and learning from each other and because it's embarrassing. You know, here I was a midwife talking to other women and encouraging other women to seek help and get treatment and I wasn't. Mm. So, you know, I totally get that. But when you create that space, women want to share, women want to talk. And so what I found is that I wasn't the only one and all these women had issues or trauma or things that they needed to work through post-birth that they weren't, they were just soldiering on. You know, that's that was birth. I had a, a health, healthy baby and I am traumatized by my birth, but, it's, um, but my baby's healthy so I'm just going to get on with it. Yeah. Or, you know, my vagina feels like it's falling out and that's totally normal because I've had a baby so I'm just going to soldier on. Or I can't have sex with my partner anymore but that's just because I'm a mum now, like all those kind of things. And the mental health associated with it is huge and how, th- these issues are so debilitating because they affect so many different issues in our lives. So started opening up the classes to that and really offering modifications. So if you leak urine, this is how you do star jumps and, you know, putting it in with other things too. So if your knees are sore, if your hips are sore, this is how you do it. So you didn't, you could do the modification without looking like you leak urine. Yeah. And so giving women the opportunity to modify and showing them how was a really huge thing. But then I realised that most of them didn't know how to activate their pelvic floor properly. Um, And, you know, research shows us that 50% of us that are told verbally how to do it still won't do it properly. And, you know, it's, it's a fold. It's not just most of us concentrate just around the urethra, but the pelvic floor is the base of your pelvis. It goes from your pubic bone at the front to your coccyx at the back and the side. Most people know how to activate around the urethra, but they forget about old anus out the back and they have no idea about the sides. And so we get this, you know, tightness in one area and a weakness in others and we don't realise that it's not just about the activation, it's about the release as well. So we talk a lot about strong muscles, strong muscles, 
but people can have just as many issues with a tight pelvic floor as they can with a weak. And so learning how to relax and lengthen is really important. So many women post-birth can experience um, issue with tightness because they're always butt clenching. Mm-hmm. especially standing at the kitchen and doing dishes and stuff. They're always clenching their butt when they're clenching their pelvic floor as well. And so, yeah, so became a personal trainer and I realised that I couldn't teach what I needed to in group fitness classes. They Women needed this knowledge and it needed to be taught as a course. And it kind of the motivating factor for me to do this was I was sitting on a woman's lounge room floor. She'd invited me to come over. I'd looked after her in hospital and she'd asked me to come over and see her and her sister and check out her core and talk about her pelvic floor. And I was sitting there watching the two of them literally laugh and cry about the state of their bodies and how much they didn't know and how much they thought they had been doing the right thing and they hadn't and you know they were so close so there was laughter about how traumatic the experience was I guess and I was like I need to do something about this for the women in my community and so I put what I had done to heal myself into a program and started teaching it and I don't think there's anyone that hasn't done it where I live now. (laughs) It went a bit crazy and the feedback was phenomenal. You know, like I don't, I can now orgasm. Like the amount of women that don't orgasm is so, it's horrific because, and I never cared about orgasm until I had one. And then I was (laughs) like, holy shit, I need to make up for lost time. Like what have I been missing out on? Why couldn't you orgasm? Because of your pelvic floor. No, so I couldn't orgasm probably because I was a control freak, to be honest. Yep. Orgasm and orgasm pre-birth is such an important skill, I'm going to call it skill, to have going into your labour and birth because it's the same hormones, right? So the hormones that you release when you orgasm is called oxytocin, the love drug. And when you birth oxytocin is what when you labor oxytocin is what makes your uterus contract so the part of the brain that controls you for this is the ancient limbic system that kind of hangs out in the middle of your brain and we don't use it very much because we like to use our controlling neocortex which sits at the front and so to be able to surrender and therefore orgasm is a really important skill to have because you have to do the same thing in labor When you labor and birth, you have to be able to surrender. You have to be able to get into that limbic system and turn off that controlling front brain. And so, A, it's a really important skill to have. B, it should be really easy for women to orgasm, um, especially orgasm via the clitoris. So there's four different types of orgasm and clitoral orgasm is the easiest. And that's because there's 8,000 nerve endings. Now, penis, poor old penis, only has 4,000 nerve endings. So oh, it should be much it's poor thing. I know. I'm struggling so to have poor. sympathy, but that's okay. <laughs> that's why they have to do it more. Oh, it's interesting because the, the clitoris is the only body part purely for pleasure and men don't have that. So we think we're hard done by, but that was kind of like our little whim anatomically. <laughs> and so when you orgasm, it's really it's a really healthy part of the pelvic floor. It's like the pelvic floor gets to have a party. And so A, it's healthy, but B, a lot of people struggle post-birth to experience orgasm 
the same as they did prior to birth because the pelvic floor isn't as healthy. And so they won't feel orgasm as strong or they may not be able to achieve the other types of orgasm. So the other types of vaginal cervical don't ask me about that one yet because I'm not there haven't figured out how to do that one yet um, explain it I want to know what all the four are you yeah, said well, vaginal, clitoral, so, cervical so, and yeah. anal is it anal Birth. no not anal oh settle down <laughs> Sophie <laughs> although you may have just created a new one so hey if, if you'd what's like the fourth one then birth Orgasm, orgasmic birth. Yeah, so, haven't so experienced that one yet. I had great births, but not people, quite orgasmic. So people, like I've heard that people can have an orgasm through birth and I just yes. call bullshit because I cannot believe how someone could. But you're telling me it's actually a thing. It's not only a thing, I've seen it. It's extremely uncomfortable to be at as a midwife. I'm like, I'm just going to leave you guys here. Oh, what are they doing? Are are they having sex or is she masturbating or how does she? No, no, she's riding the oxytocin slow and that has enabled her to climax and have that rush. So, yeah, I, I wish everyone listening can see your face I know I gotta just pick my no I'm just picking my jaw up you look like a sex doll her mouth is just like (laughs) (laughs) and is that a learnt thing or that's just how some women give birth it's just how some women give birth. So, wow. so the, when you labour, the pain is not pathological, it's physiological. Yeah. So pathological pain is when you've cut yourself, you know, when you've had a tooth pulled back, it's pain that shouldn't be there. It's it's your body creating pain to be able to respond to the event and hopefully heal. Physiological pain is pain that you create. And I like to compare it to things like, you know, if you hold a wall squat, you'll feel your glutes and your thighs shake and that burn. That's physiological pain. That's I have a pregnancy program and a big part of it is trying to mentally train you for birth and train you to get used to your body working and feeling that pain in a really normal sense. And so some people won't experience it as pain they won't use the word painful they won't say that it's pain and it doesn't feel like that to them and I've had many women that I've cared for over the years that haven't experienced birth as painful and then some are able to experience it as enjoyable which is where that orgasm comes in and that oxy they are able to use that oxytocin to climax there is a really cool youtube video on it so there's a dvd called orgasmic birth and it follows six women's journey and there's one woman who looks like she's having a complete sexual orgasm um and i think it's on youtube that you can watch that bit for free be careful what you the type in um but there is yeah there it is it is totally possible i've been a midwife for almost 14 years i think it is now and i've only seen a couple and they've all been at home they've been at home births mm. where people are in a Space that they feel safe enough and as a midwife it's a huge compliment to be able to be a part of a space that is so safe yeah. and know that you have been able to assist to create that and the partners have been involved so you know not touching in a sexual way but touching in a comforting supportive way and the women have just rolled with it but I mean that is a totally out of body experience that mm. they have just totally surrendered 
too. And I did birth like that for the people listening. I <laughs> but will you? like I was being murdered. <laughs> but will you for the second time? I don't know. I don't. Maybe. My orgasm game has definitely lifted. I don't think so. I'm I'm quite vocal and I like that. Mm, like I Primal. My husband, yeah, I'm primal. My husband after the birth, after our birth, said it was the best David Attenborough documentary ever watched. <laughs> I <laughs> mooed, so a roar is probably a bit better than mooing. Yeah. But if you listen to women who feel safe and are having, you know, a really great labour, they sound like they're having good sex. They moan and they groan. They don't scream. Scream yeah. comes from fear which happens when adrenaline is produced and adrenaline knocks off oxytocin and doesn't let it work. And when uh, the head comes why. out, it's like, <laughs> for everyone listening. Yeah. That's it. But you often get that, you get that real, and you know when women are pushing without mm. them even knowing because they do that real bearing down. Yeah. So, yeah. so we got a bit sidetracked with orgasm, which is totally normal. That's <laughs> usual for <laughs> us. It's acceptable. That's usual. It's a good thing to get sidetracked. Yeah. yeah, I basically was like, I need to run this program. And so I ran it probably, it was about 18 months to two years in my town. And then a couple of really key people in my life who had done the program were like, all women in the world need to know this knowledge. We need to, we all need to know this. We all need to know that we can heal. We need to know that there's really simple things that we can be doing every day to help us. And they were like, please take it online. And so I did. And that's, where I guess, yeah, how it kind of turned me into the core and floor woman. <laughs> oh, so good. Yeah, I think what you're doing is so important because I think as women we just kind of go, oh, we've given birth so it's to be expected that our bodies are just ruined now. And so I think that a lot of women have issues and ne- it never even think to see someone about it because, as you say, they just expect that, yeah, it's it's not going to get better and that's just a sacrifice we make for having children. And I must admit that I have a referral to see a specialist for my pelvic floor and I've had it in my handbag, I can't even tell you, like probably 12 months. Is this going to kick you into? No, because I'm I'm going to do this and then be cured. Oh, okay. Yeah. After this quick podcast. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, we're just, she's doing her kegels now, so she'll be fine. You know, 20% of gynae wait lists are around prolapse. Mm. But when you look at the statistics around recurrence rates with surgery, that's what kind of got me thinking, okay, it's not just about the Kegels and it's not just about surgery. What we're doing every day has to come into play, how we're using our bodies day to day. And that's probably been the biggest realisation for me is really looking at, yeah, the the recurrence rates following surgery can be as high as 67%. with prolapse. So I was like, okay, there's got it. There's, there's more to it. And approximately 75% of women will experience some degree of prolapse. And a lot of it is asymptomatic, meaning you don't have symptoms at, at first. And I think what I see, sort of what I think it's what I see is women have their first babies and they may experience some issues like things like incontinence, 50% of women having their first baby will experience it. So have their first baby they may have symptoms afterwards of things like prolapse or diastasis recti, but typically if they're well and healthy, 
they won't or they'll tend to heal to a point where there's no more symptoms. So this, I'm going to digress for a second, but the six-week check is so detrimental to our health postnatally because it makes us think that our bodies magically heal by six weeks. And so most of us have our first baby we have our six-week check, we get the all clear and we're so desperate to, you know, to identify with our pre-pregnant self that we often get straight back into things way too quickly and that's when a lot of damage is done and people don't often notice it or feel it until their second pregnancy. Now, the research shows us that it doesn't take six weeks. Nothing, you, know, you think about how long it takes you to conceive, how long it takes you to grow a baby, how long it takes you to birth it your heart has to shift out of the way for you to grow a baby. Things aren't magically going to fall back in place by six weeks. And most of the time they don't magically fall back in place. It takes work. So we know that it takes about six months for things to heal when there hasn't been injury. So that's a lot longer than six weeks. Six months is a lot longer. And then that's when there's not injury. But most of us, so 50% of women in their pregnancies will experience incontinence up to 100% will experience diastasis recti what is during that? their pregnancy. So that's the abdominal separation. So not to freak people out because it is a really normal event that has to occur when you're growing a baby. So you've got connective tissue that runs down your six-pack. So think of anyone who you've ever seen on a fitspo, you know, with their six pack and you've oh, got like that Jade and, Jade and, and I yeah, yeah. on beyond the bus yeah. go on yeah yeah so you've got the connective tissue so muscle never sticks to muscle it sticks to connective tissue that connective tissue I like to explain it like blue tack it has to stretch right so you get this stretching and thinning of the connective tissue in order for your uterus to grow and your body to hold your baby if that connective tissue becomes compromised, we get what's called diastasis recti. And physically, it looks like a mum pouch. So people often complain about their mum pouch. I have one of them. Of, yeah, so sometimes it's too much wine and cheese. Yes. Other times, yes, that's muscle separation. And that's true too. So Let's yours is definitely there. muscle separation. It's <laughs> definitely not wine and cheese. God damn, I've been caught out. <laughs> Sophie's laughing at her. With a little bit of KFC. (laughs) And the rest. Be quiet, Sophie. Go on, Ben. With the mum, what the mum pouch is often is not fat. It's the muscles are no longer sitting flush with each other because the connective tissue isn't strong to hold them there. The connective tissue is weak, like stretched blue tack, and the muscles have separated, and so it creates this pouch-looking appearance, or the mum tum, which is the commonly gunt referred is to. Also, as. another word, the gunt. Yeah. The gunt, yes. The gunt, yeah. The gunt um, is potentially and- more a column A. Oh no! But someone else <laughs> in Europe they call it a fupa. A fupa. That's it's, nice. It's, That's cute. It's called a front. Upper That's fat upper pussy area. area. Yeah, yeah. Fat upper pussy area. Fupa is way nicer than gunt. I like them both. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so abdominal separation, normal physiological event has to occur. But what I'm what happens is when if you ever notice when you're pregnant, your stomach like coning or doming. Mm, mm. Have you ever seen that on yourself? So what you're seeing there is your two bellies, your sides of the six pack, and you've created this pressure in your tummy, which is stretching that connective tissue. 
So activating your core is not pulling your belly button into your spine. When you do that, you do it against the breath and you put a lot of pressure on the pelvic floor. And so most people don't know how to activate their core properly because they're constantly told to pull their belly button in. They're also not aware of how to activate it during important movements. And so when they're pregnant, they constantly get this conium domain and a lot of it has to do with the way we live. So the way we get up out of bed is not instinctual. It's not a functional movement. We're going against the way our body works and that's often when people will see the coning or doming or getting off the couch. So you have to create pressure to make your body move in a way that it shouldn't be moving and every time you do that, you get this abdominal separation. So I've worked with men in their 40s and 50s like elite athletes, surfers, who have had diastasis recti because they've constantly done core exercises Mm. wrong. And they come to me because their back's sore, but it's their core that's weak. So it doesn't just affect pregnant women, but pregnancy increases the risk. And the most or the biggest risk factor for this is heavy lifting. So tell me when we heavy lift, all the pregnant women having their second and third and fourth babies are constantly lifting all their other children. And they do it without correct core activation so they're constantly putting pressure on Mm. their core and so what happens is they have their first baby and I see it more in women that are fit and doing things like yoga and pilates and things like that during their pregnancy because they're not activating their core properly and they end up with a diastasis after birth but they don't know about it so they don't do anything about it they or they suffer from pelvic floor dysfunction but they think that's normal because that's what they've had a baby and that's how their body's meant to be now. And don't get me wrong, like I remember after birth looking down at my body being like, um, no excuse thanks. me, this, yeah, like this isn't my vagina. <laughs> Where did mine go? <laughs> like, can I have mine back now, please? Like, and it's, and I think we need to, you know, be really honest about that. Your belly does, I, I had spent my whole career looking at postpartum bodies and I still expected mine to go back exactly as it was <laughs> straight away post-birth I thought it was I was just going to get my pre-pregnant body back and that's you know it just goes to show how we grow up and the and the images and things we Mm. see in our society yeah so women often come to me in their second or third pregnancies by third pregnancies they feel broken because they haven't done anything to heal in between and they haven't done anything to strengthen but often second pregnancies is when people start noticing things they get bigger that you know they show earlier they feel the symptoms more harder and earlier so the back pain the pelvic girdle pain all those kind of common discomforts that they're called when they're actually really debilitating and horrific they experience them in that second pregnancy and then yeah if they go on to have a third so many women use that word I feel broken like I just feel like I don't have a core I feel like the baby's gonna fall out all those kind of things. Yeah, so, so are they not normal things? If you're feeling those symptoms, should you see someone about them? Because I know with my second pregnancy, I'd squat down on the floor to, like, you know, play Jump with poo. Poppy on the ground. <laughs> just back one out on the playroom floor um, to play with Poppy. And I would sometimes be like, is this child just going to fall out of me right here, right now? Is that not normal it's not normal it is muscle weakness more more, most often so we have an amazing healthcare system in Australia but it really lets women down a lot of the time and especially in pregnancy and postnatal think about especially postnatal you think about how many appointments you have during your pregnancy and then how many you have postbirth ridiculous isn't Um, it and yeah it's it (sighs) It's not acceptable, really, considering how debilitating 
these issues are and I know I sound really sexist when I say this but if guys felt like their balls were falling out at the rate that women's feel like their vaginas are falling out and men weren't able to orgasm like women can't and you know our cores were falling apart their cores were falling apart like ours were it we would be having years worth of publicly paid for physiotherapy and osteopathy and all of that and I know that I know how that makes me seem but it it, maternal health has never been a priority worldwide it was the only millennium development goal that wasn't met and even with COVID we're seeing in some countries an increase of 200% maternal mortality rate it's the first thing that goes and I've spent a year volunteering in the Pacific Islands and it's women are just not a priority in health and I we are more so here in Australia and we're very lucky I know how privileged I am to have grown up and lived in this country I, I totally respect that but we need to do a lot more in this space for women um, because it's it affects everything. If you haven't got a well mother, you haven't got a well family. Yeah. And the mental health that goes along with it, the relationship issues, you know, there was research that came out in New South Wales a couple of years ago that 17% of relationships broke up in that first year. You know, and it's if you're sleep deprived, you are not going to be taking self-care. You're not going to fulfill that referral to the physio. And, you know, it's expensive to see a women's health physio and you've got to be able to find one. If you're in a rural or remote area, you're not going to leave your newborn or drive with your newborn three and a half hours, five hours to a city to see someone for a 15 to 45 minute appointment. You know, it's... And we do There's as so mothers where we put ourselves like as the last priority when we have a baby because, you know, we feel like everything's so much more important. But truth is, it's not true. Yeah, and I think we've all thought this is just something that you just have to expect. So with all these issues, the I keep on thinking rectal or whatever that one is. Diastasis. Prolapse. Yes, so the prolapse and the ab separation separation and the pelvic floor. Are these, are you telling us that these are things that actually can be completely fixed and we can go back to feeling somewhat normal again? So they're all muscle issues. Muscles have the ability to heal. I am working with women in their 60s and 70s I had a woman come to me pre-COVID. She was 75 and she said, I'm coming to see you because I want to improve my sex life. Go girl. I know. I was like, when I grow up, I want to be you. (laughs) Incontinence is the second most common reason to be admitted into a nursing home. And so these women have that knocking on their doors. And it's so amazing working with women in that space because they don't have young children. They're not sleep deprived and they have the space to be able to really work on their bodies. And they are healing you know, the messages I get, like, not only is my sex life improved, I don't have to get up during the night to wee. Like, and now I'm having a full night's sleep. And so I have a men's course and the surfer, the 45-year-old surfer that did it, he he's a good friend of my husband's and he was in Port Mac and we went down to see him. And he'd been doing this 12-week core course with his physio because he had back pain and he couldn't surf anymore because his back was hurting every time he went surfing. 
and he'd been doing this core course. He'd done it for 12 weeks and he had no effect. And I said, can you just let me have a look at your core? I want to see if you've got a diastasis. And he did. He had quite a significant diastasis recti, so abdominal separation. So he went back to the physio and the physio used ultrasound. Now, the physio is a great physio but wasn't experienced in diastasis recti because mainly it is with women. So he hadn't even thought to check it out on this guy. So he did an ultrasound to measure it and realised that he had, you know, a 3.5, four centimetre gap. And it's not about the gap. A lot of us, a lot of people think that the, with diastasis recti, it's about the gap between the muscles, but it's actually about the depth because that tells us about the integrity of the connective tissue, so how strong it is. So anyway, he did my core and floor course, and at the end of the eight weeks, it had reduced down to something like 1.9 wow. centimetres, like a significant reduction. And then he went on and did my strength zone, which is my progression program, and it had decreased even further. And he wrote me the most beautiful, I was going to say letter, but it was an email because it's 2020. Um, <laughs> <laughs> because none of us have stamps anymore. <laughs> <laughs> How much are they even? Um, he wrote me this email and said, I no longer have have back pain, which means I can go surfing, which means I can do something that I love. This then enables me to be a better wife and father. And I'm not fighting with my wife anymore because I'm able to have you know, I'm able to surf, which makes me feel happy. And so I can approach our relationship in a much better attitude. I'm more patient. I'm more forgiving. I'm, you know, a much better dad because of it. And it made me cry because I, you know, he really summed up how one tiny little thing that appears tiny and insignificant, I can't go surfing because my back hurts, actually affects our whole life. So yes, you can heal. Yes, it takes time, it takes patience and it takes commitment, which a lot of women post-birth don't have that time or they don't allocate it to themselves, which we need to get better at. But we totally mess up postnatal as a society. We leave our women in four-bedroom homes on their own, we focus on the baby. Like even in pregnancy, we start stuffing it up then. We we throw baby showers for the baby. Like I mm. only ever throw what's called a blessing way. So a blessing way, if you haven't heard of it, is all about the woman and, and doing things like creating meal rosters post-birth and I'm going to come on a Thursday and vacuum and I'm not going to hold your baby and I'm not or I am going to hold your baby while you have a sleep. And postpartum doulas are really starting to bridge this gap But again, they cost money and there's a lot of financial abuse post-birth when women aren't working and aren't, you know, bringing in an income and then there's a lot of financial guilt if there's not abuse because women feel that they can't, they're not earning income so they can't spend that money on themselves. So it's, oh, it's just this, how long you got? Yeah, I know. (laughs) But yes, Mm. you can heal, but it's not just about, doing your kegels and it's it starts off with breathing to be honest it sounds quite airy fairy but we don't breathe correctly if you have an ultrasound when you're pregnant in the later stage of your pregnancy the sonographer will say to you may say to you I can see your baby practicing breathing did either of you have that yes I have heard them say that yeah yeah so what they're seeing is the diaphragm moving, Mm -hmm. contracting and releasing. So we are anatomically put together. So our bones and muscles are put together for us to breathe via our diaphragm, but we don't. We start to shift that into our chest. So if you watch, if you've got little children and you watch them, they will diaphragmatically breathe. But we start doing things like teaching people to take a 
deep breath in or when we start going to the doctors, they'll put a stethoscope on your chest and tell you to breathe. And so we learn to vertically breathe when we should be horizontally breathing. And when we vertically breathe and we do things like hold our breath or contract muscles on an inhale, we put a lot of pressure on the core and pelvic floor. So learning to breathe enables the muscles properly, enables the muscles to start talking to each other. So it's like, oh, hey, Nate. It's like, you know, when neighbours finally, they've lived next to each other for 20 years and then there's like a fire or yeah, a natural disaster and they come together for the first time. That's what your muscles start doing when you breathe properly. Yeah, <laughs> And so then it's about learning correct activation. So not pulling that belly button in, learning how to do it on an exhale learning correctly how to do your pelvic floor and not being afraid of your fingers. So a big thing that I try and encourage women to do is actually feel, and if they don't feel comfortable with that, look at their pelvic or look at their perineum with a mirror and see what happens when you contract. Before before we started this, we said when we thought Kegels were still the gold standard, we said we were going to do some on air, but I'm not quite sure that on air I'm going to put my fingers in or without the mirror. I'll have a go. I'll take one for the team. (laughs) For me, not you. I'm talking you. Um, You said this wasn't filled, right? Well, it's not. It's not, yeah. So do you still do your Kegels or you don't do your Kegels? What's the deal with Kegels? So the deal with Kegels, I don't teach Kegels. Mm -hmm. I teach correct activation and correct release and learning how to do that with movement and exercise. So every exercise is a core exercise and the pelvic floor is a part of the core. So when I say core, I mean the pelvic floor as well. A squat, a lunge, anything like that involves the core and pelvic floor. Most of us push against those muscles when they need to be contracting. And so when you, like 28% of elite athletes are incontinent prior to having children, which just shows we are not exercising properly. Yeah. So we're not exercising properly. And then we have things like tables and chairs and couches and high beds, which all came in when we got obsessed with germs. We lifted everything off the ground. When we did that, we lost our ability to squat and our ability to squat is what keeps our core and our glutes and our legs strong and so most of us have really weak glutes and as mums we spend a lot of time sitting and we're sitting in a position that's not good for us often leaning back or rocking again putting pressure on the core and weakening other areas and then we don't hold our babies right so we're constantly ruining our posture and our alignment you know you can walk into an osteopath and they know which side you've carried your baby on because of how unaligned you are and then we take that incorrect alignment and incorrect activation to our exercise classes Hmm. and so all this exercise that we're doing often creates things like pain so no it's not about sitting there lifting releasing lifting releasing it's about learning how to work with your body and doing it properly so sometimes we will just isolate the core in my classes and program and just contract and release so I guess you would call that a kegel but then it's about learning how to do that with exercise which takes time and it is for life so core and floor restore is an eight-week program but I'm very honest that if you just do it for eight weeks like if you just do you know a booty challenge for eight weeks and then you do nothing for three months your bum is not going to stay toned and strong no just because it eight weeks I have had periods where I've got cocky and lazy and not 
incorporated my pelvic floor into exercises as much and not been, you know, focusing on that and the incontinence will come back and I'll be like, all right, back into it. So you're pregnant now. Have you been as sick this time? No. So it's my little will be four by the time I have this baby and it's it took me that long to want to come around to another baby because I was so traumatized by it. And I had worked so hard to heal that I didn't want to do that damage again. And I was nervous. I was like, I'm the core and floor lady, but I'm also really honest. I'm, you know, I talk about hashtag protect your knickers and stuff like that. And I'll give people a knicker update and be like, you know, I've got this cough at the moment. So I have to constantly lift my pelvic floor before I sneeze and cough. Yeah. So I have vomited this pregnancy. It has not been as bad as the last and I have not. I'm 14 weeks on Saturday and I haven't wet myself with vomiting wow, yet. Wow, amazing. Considering I'm, not allowed, I'm not sure if I'm allowed to swear. You no, no, swear. it's encouraged. <laughs> yes, it is. So um, It's fucking amazing. Yeah, and <laughs> um, considering that you, you know, you had this issue before children and then you had it with your first pregnancy and now you're like so much better in a second pregnancy – I had, after my first child, I would turn the shower on and I would just wee as the shower turned on. And then my second child, maybe because I exercised a little bit, I, it it got a little bit better, my pelvic floor. I never did Kegels. I've never done Kegels. And then when I was pregnant with number two and number three, every time I vomited in the toilet, I would piss myself all over the floor. So my pants were wet, the floor was wet, and, you know, I didn't know which way would be better for me to be on the toilet because either way something was going to happen. Mine was exactly the same and everyone would be like, oh, my gosh, it's so awful that you vomit so much. And I would say I don't actually care that much about the vomiting. Like I can run to a public toilet and vomit and not feel embarrassed about that. The part that I am so shit scared about is that I'm going to run to the public toilet, vomit, and then I've also pissed all over the floor. And what do I do with that? Like I can flush the vomit away, but you gotta take I've your just pants pissed all over the floor. Pants. Yeah. And the other thing is when I started back at exercising after Yumi, my third child, I started a mum's health fitness thing outside. So so it was a little bit softer on my body. But saying that, as soon as I did a star jump, I weed myself. As soon as I did like high knees, I'd wee myself, any movement like that. And and to this day, it's it's not as bad, but I still most definitely cannot do star jumps. So, yeah. you know, this is seven years of having these issues on and off and it doesn't get any easier because like even when I'm out now everyone knows that I am quite open with my life and myself so I'm just going to keep on going but (laughs) if I do go out at night and I'm drunk and I laugh sometimes I could piss myself like not completely but it will come out where it's a little bit wet and I go oh well shit I gotta go home. So or put heaps of toilet paper in and keep carrying on because it's party. But um, you know, these are you've only got one night. Yeah, I was gonna say you're not you're not going home for a bit of piss. Piss and all. But But this is the thing, we joke about it and we laugh about it, but it's not you know, and there's, it drives me crazy on social media where we see things like peasing and things like that because we normalize it. 
just because it's common doesn't mean that it's normal. And that's what breaks my heart when we make it such a normal thing because people then think that they can't heal or it's not possible because we've normalised it. So, yes. oh, that's just what happens. The other really heartbreaking thing is that so many mums miss out on being the fun ones because of it. Mm. So mum can't jump on the trampoline. Mm. No one knows that mum can't jump on the trampoline because she doesn't want to wet herself. You go to those trampoline parks and dads are having all the fun. Dads become the fun ones. And all of a sudden mum stop. (laughs) The fun ones with their testicles falling out. Um, (laughs) Uh. Mum stop getting to do the fun stuff and stop doing that and end up being the people on the sides talking and chatting and eating and that's actually not what mum is mum could do the fun stuff mum could jump on the trampoline before she had children it's not like oh I've had kids now so my body's ruined no you can heal you can strengthen but it does take time it does take commitment and dedication and you've got to work at it and you've got to keep working at it which is not what we want to hear it's not how our society works anymore and I I never knew until now that and it makes so much sense but exercise and doing it the right way with your pelvic floor in mind can alter this whole situation yeah so you know hanging washing out correctly is a workout if you put do you have videos of these so we know what we're doing yeah I actually did I Ooh. did one yesterday on, um, on the washing basket, but I have so many women that are like, oh, I just put my washing basket on the floor and squatted and lifted my pelvic floor and I've just hung the washing and done my exercise and now I feel good about it. But I wanted to touch on the shower thing because that mm. is actually a conditioning thing and it's a really big thing that happened to me as well because I've always weed in the shower. And so what you're doing there, it's partly pelvic floor, but it's also brain conditioning. And so the others... Um, event in your day that it is linked with is opening the door so it's what's called lock key syndrome and so you're at the shops don't need to go to the toilet get in the car don't need to go to the toilet get to the front door busting you wet yourself because you haven't got the pelvic floor strength to hold it so you were wetting yourself with the shower because you hadn't you haven't got the pelvic floor strength to hold it but the reason you do that is because you've trained yourself and if you've ever heard of Pavlov's dogs with the salvating, he trains them to salvate with food. It's conditioning. So you've conditioned yourself to wee in the shower, which is why it happens. So a way to get over that is to stop weeing in the shower. And it takes about 28 days to break that habit. But weeing, even going to the toilet, like weeing in the toilet and then not. And so for me, it became an issue when my son started swimming lessons because I couldn't hold it. I didn't want to wee in the public shower, but I couldn't hold it. Mm. And so that's when I started to condition myself to get out of it and stop weeing in the shower because I wanted to be able to so, do so what would be the conditioning if you are the one with the lock in the door how do you condition you yourself do, out of that so it's um the you car. know you might use the back or you come in and you do something so you come in and you put the washing on you come on come in and do the dishes dishes it's about behavior right. so you but change behavior and go and do that rather than as soon as you get and home then and go to the right okay do yeah. old, this, I yes. feel like this is what happens with older people too. You know, like the older you yeah. get, yeah. I need to tell my grandpa these things. Has, yeah. So, and this is, you know, these issues affect men as well, but women are more at risk because of pregnancy and birth. But what happens, it gets worse when you get older because your pelvic floor has weakened mm. with age and life stresses. So these issues, if you're experiencing them now, are not going to heal on their own and they are going to get worse. 
And that's what, there are so many women in their 40s and 50s contact me and say, is it too late? No, it's never too late. Your body is able to heal and strengthen. Just like, you know, people who are 50 can lose 100 kilos and run a marathon. You can heal at any time. The sooner you get onto this, the sooner you incorporate this into your everyday life, the better and you continue through with healthy habits and practice and know that there will be times. So, you know, even your menstrual cycle affects how you contract to your pelvic floor because of hormones. So those two weeks prior, so many women feel like, you know, everything's going to fall out just before their period. That's hormone related and it is harder to connect during that time, but it will get easier and stronger. Yeah. So there's so much to it, but Yes, you can. So do you have, well, that's so good to hear. So obviously you have programs to follow. I'm going to actually do one. Yeah, do it. Yeah, I am actually going to do something for once. Yeah. (laughs) Do you mind, can we? I know who you are now, so I can track you down and make sure you are doing Do your homework. (laughs) Can we launch into a couple of the questions that were sent in? A lot of them have just been answered as we've chatted, but I just want to make sure that we do answer some of them. First off, some pregnancy-related ones. Is there anything we can do during pregnancy to help avoid or minimise pelvic floor issues? Yeah. So firstly, I want to say that there's just been a recent systematic review published that has shown that doing your pelvic floor exercises during pregnancy decreases the amount of time that you push and decreases tearing. So that's phenomenal to have that knowledge published. So it's really, really important to do your pelvic floor exercises during pregnancy. My pregnancy course really came about because I started working with women postnatally and I was like, hang on a second, if I can teach them this when mm. they're pregnant, Prevention then we're going to prevent rather, all of yeah. this. And they're going to move into the postnatal period with the knowledge and techniques to heal without having to learn it sleep deprived. So the the ideal is that you learn this preconceptionally, Mm. which is everyone says to me, I wish I knew this before I had kids because you want to be able to continue to exercise in pregnancy. And there's no, lots of people will have safe versus unsafe exercise lists. It's not about that. It's about what's safe for you. So if you can activate your pelvic floor and core and do star jumps without leaking and with good core activation, then they're fine for you. If something causes you to leak or you have back pain during or after, then that exercise is not right for you. If you are doing an exercise and your stomach is coning or doming, it's the same thing, just different words, then that exercise is not right for you. So it's about learning what exercises are right for you. But yes, if you can protect and strengthen during pregnancy and then learn about correct functional movement and exercise because you don't have to wait till six weeks to start exercising. It's just what you do and Mm. how you do it. So the gentle breathing and activation exercises that I teach can be done in those first couple of weeks post-birth. But the most important thing is that you move right because you start exercising from the moment you have a baby. You're getting in and out of bed how many times a day and night. You know, you're getting up off the ground. You spend so much time on the ground with newborns (laughs) and we do that incorrectly and we put a lot of strain on our body getting up off the couch you know we shouldn't be swinging to get up we should be using a squat to come up and activating our pelvic floor as we do it especially when we're holding a baby and that's postnatally you know no other time in our lives would we put our body under the pressure that we do in pregnancy and birth 
and then expect to heal whilst carrying an extra weight. So we're carrying this three, four, five kilo weight that continues to get heavier and that extra weight puts extra pressure on the pelvic floor. So yes, it's you definitely want to be doing this during pregnancy. My husband always, can. when I am lifting something up, when he is behind me, he tells me to bend my knees because usually I go to pick something really heavy up and I've got quite like a stiff, like straight legs. And he's like, bend your knees and pick it up with everything you've got. So he's always telling me that, but now you see the little diagram. Now I'm listening to you and he actually makes sense. He was right. You see the (laughs) little diagram on the side of boxes. My husband, I never taught him any of this, but he would overhear me telling people. And he came to me about two months after I'd started the program and he was like, you know, I've been doing everything you've been telling those women to do and my back doesn't hurt anymore. Aww. And had I had told him, he would have yeah. um, rolled his eyes. But he, yeah, but he he did it. And be, then once his friend did it, he was like, wow, she must be doing something cool because, you know, he's yeah. done it. But, yeah, we. If, so my biggest teacher in all of this has been my son because children move instinctively. They they will sit they in a squat. squat. Yeah. It's oh, cool. my daughter's squat is just yeah. primo. Yeah. I can't believe yeah. what they do. So don't let them lose that because what happens is they start going to daycare and kinder and preschool and they're encouraged to sit cross-legged yep. instead of squatting and they're encouraged to sit on chairs at tables and so they lose the squat and so so many children and teenagers and most adults in western society can't squat and people say oh it's a cultural thing you know only asian people can squat so i hear that all the time yeah. and you're just like no we the squat is the first move we master as a human we all could squat we just lose it yeah and so yeah, we are meant to squat to pick up things. We're meant to sit squatted in a squatting position and we don't. We adapt to our environment and then our children start to watch us and they adapt to their environment and they lose it. Another question we had was, does perineal massage help? So there's really great research on perineal massage, really conclusive massage that it decreases tearing. I was never a fan of it because... I could never find my vagina at that many weeks pregnant, <laughs> let alone massage it. But there is really good support, really good evidence for it. And if you are somebody who is a cyclist or spends a lot of time bike riding or horse riding, it can be extra beneficial because often your perineum can be quite tight or if you've had an episiotomy or tears before. But yes, there is really great evidence on that. The other thing that is really amazing for decreasing tears is to have a warm compress so just like a warm towel placed on your perineum as you're birthing so that decreases third and fourth Mm. degree tears so with perineal massage if you can't do it often your partner has to help and then that can be quite sexual for them and very not sexual for you and so it then leads into this kind of (laughs) awkward sexual tension so I'm if you can do perineal massage, great. It can be easier to do in the bath. And then the other thing people ask me about is devices that do the stretching. You can do it. If you can do it yourself or you can get someone to do it, your fingers are just as beneficial as a machine and it is free. Yeah. So, But if you're someone who really is scared of tearing or you really want to 
do it and you can't do the massage on yourself, then you might want to buy a machine. But you start it at around 36 weeks pregnant. But there's really great information on that in my program and online too if you Google perineal massage. There's a lot of Australian health documents that run through how to do it. So moving on to birth, what factors in birth generally lead to pelvic floor issues? So forceps, episiotomy. Everything uh, I've had, good. And a long pushing stage. So longer than two hours for your first and longer than an hour for your first. Um, They're the most traumatising events for the pelvic floor. And then directed pushing. So that hold your breath, chin to your chest, push, 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 as opposed to go with your body. And don't get me wrong, I've definitely had to be that cheerleader midwife at some births. Some births, it requires it, but ultimately we want you to be able to go with your body and do indirected pushing, mm. much nicer pelvic floor. And you really want to push on an inhale when the pelvic floor lengthens, but that takes a lot for women to be skilled at during birth because we, we're the only humans that go against our instincts. And so we spend the majority of our life not listening to our body. And then when we're in birth, we're told to listen to our body, but we haven't practiced that, yeah. which is, I try and do that in the pregnancy program, really guiding you to actually listen to yourself. But we don't like that. We like being told what to yeah. do rather than listening. So it's a, yeah, I've had a lot of people email me with the pregnancy program and go, what should I do on this day? It's like, no, you need to ask yourself that and learn what feels good and what doesn't because that's you being able to listen to your body, which is such an important skill to have in motherhood as well. But as a society, we almost need to all retrain in that. Can you still have issues if you have a cesarean? Yes. So it's a big myth. People think that they've had a cesarean so they're safe. Pregnancy it does a lot, can do a lot of damage to the pelvic floor as can other things like obesity and exercise and um, things like that. So the fact that... One third of our elite athletes are incontinent prior to having children. It shows that. So things like forceps and episiotomy increase your risk, but just because you've had a cesarean does not mean that you are excluded from pelvic floor dysfunction. And same with diastasis recti, that's increased during pregnancy. It's not a birth-related thing. And do pelvic floor issues tend to get worse with more children or is it more just dependent on the type of birth? It depends on what you've done in between to heal more than anything. So if you have spent time healing, you may find that it may get better um, or stay the same. But typically it will get worse because you haven't healed and so you're increasing an issue that was already there that you haven't dealt with you're making it worse yeah and if you have a prolapse following a birth should you opt out of a natural birth for your next bug it there is so much into that a cesarean is a massive abdominal surgery that it puts you and your baby at a lot of risk factors we do them very well in australia and they're a safe procedure but it's still a massive operation and having a prolapse does not mean you can't have a vaginal yep. birth but working on your pelvic floor to heal it and or to at least strengthen it during pregnancy and then post-birth. But it wouldn't be a reason for cesarean. Now, most of our postpartum questions you've answered along the way, but what are some things that we should really avoid postpartum? Oh, look, this is... <laughs> It's so challenging because a lot of it is, you know, people get told, anyone that ever tells somebody to not lift a heavy thing as a mother has never 
being a parent, <laughs> but you know, that heavy lifting and things like I'm a huge fan of baby wearing. I absolutely love it. But when you're trying to heal that extra weight on your body all day is not beneficial. So it's, it's not avoiding things. It's learning how to do things properly. Yeah. That's much more important. Yeah. Totally. So, because you are inevitably going to have to do things that increase your risk of these issues like heavy lifting. And so learning how to do it properly and incorporating your core and pelvic floor into that is is what you should be doing. And I guess, as you say, it's like, don't do any heavy lifting for the first six weeks. And then we're at six weeks and one day and we're like, I can put anything over my head. <laughs> yeah. 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 Watch me get back into CrossFit. Yeah. It's, uh, and that's the whole point of core and floor is that you take the techniques that you learn and you put them into the exercises you love. So you go back to CrossFit or F45 or Pilates with these techniques. Right. And is it a realistic expectation to think that you your pelvic floor will ever go back to normal? The amount of women in their late 30s and 40s that tell me they feel stronger now than they did before kids and they are having better sex than they've ever had is phenomenal and that makes me feel so happy. So, yes, you know, and I think women, you have such a newfound appreciation for your body and what it can do and what it's been through and then when you understand how it works you amplify your results and you know that that pride in your body and that feeling of I can do this is phenomenal and so yeah you can do I've the women I train in my face-to-face classes it's incredible to watch them just succeed and the mental boost that comes with that is amazing yeah um, and the last one that I think surprises people, and you touched on it briefly yeah. before, because I think people think, oh, once you have children, everything down there is just loosey-goosey. But a lot of women suffer from overactive or tight pelvic floors. How do you know if you have that? This is a tight um, So any of these tight, <laughs> any of these issues should be assessed by a women's health physio. So they're the best people to diagnose um, and give you an individualised plan. Um, and so they would assess that so they can assess the pelvic floor the best way for a tight pelvic floor is to do an internal you can see your pelvic floor via ultrasound but you can't assess whether it's too tight because you can't see where it was meant to come back down to so when it's tight it'll lift up and come back down but it should have actually released a lot more so they'll do an internal assessment a lot of people with tight pelvic floors will experience pain and the most common symptom is feeling like you're sitting on a golf ball around that coccyx so quite a strong feeling there and often it takes release so I've had mine I went the opposite way I did it too much contracting constantly talking about it um, and then had mine released in, so it's like a massage like you would get if you had a sore shoulder or a sore glutes and they do a bum massage it's an internal release of the pelvic floor and then learning how to lengthen and relax the muscle so yeah would have taken assessment by a women's health physio or an osteopath who's trained in that area and is able to do that amazing amazing pain's the most common symptom and pain during sex and stuff like that is what people will experience so if just yeah the biggest take home message is that if you're experiencing something that doesn't feel normal it's not yeah if something hurts that's not normal if something feels like it's falling out that's not normal if you can't do what you used to be able to do that's not normal. Just because it's common doesn't mean you have to put up with it. Please go and see someone. I'm always happy to answer anyone's questions. You can get in touch with me. I'm not a physio, you know, so obviously they are much more qualified in that area. But 
this is my jam. So. Oh, I'm so <laughs> yeah. glad we did that. Yeah, you're I incredible. Think, I think that, yeah, I definitely had the mindset that, you know, I don't, I don't think that postpartum women should see their bodies as broken, but I definitely had that mindset that a trickle here or there was just what was to be expected. So. Yeah. Thank you so much. Jade's going to do your eight-week course and she'll be able to now go and get drunk and not be surprised. Yeah, and I'm going to give everybody a visual of before and afters too. And I am going to set myself the task that I will be able to take Poppy to bounce and I'm going to be the fun parent. And also Sophie's going to focus on having an orgasm in her third birth. Yeah, perfect. So with the bouncing, really for those listening who want to jump on the trampoline, if you step rather than jump with two feet, it's a lot kinder to the pelvic floor. Okay. I'm out there tonight. I'm going to give the red hot crack. Is that the same with skipping? The two that steps instead of, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I can do the that. two legs. Mm. I just hate skipping. Yeah, but if something, <laughs> if something makes you leak, you shouldn't be doing it. Try and, and I always say take a Ross and Rachel break for those that watch Friends. Um, <laughs> Uh, take, a, <laughs> take a Ross and Rachel break from the activity, strengthen, and then go back to it. So um, good. Doesn't mean you have to break up with it forever. It doesn't mean you can't do what you love anymore. It just means take a little break, be kind to yourself, heal, and then get back into it when it's right for you. Thank you oh, so you're much. amazing. And what you're doing for women thank is you. so great. So thank you so, so much. Thanks so much for you guys. So thanks so much for having me here. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Beyond the Bump. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe and give us a review. If you didn't, good on you. You can also follow us on Instagram at beyondthebump.podcast to stay up to date on behind the scenes and future episodes. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.